0: Just for your information, this guy's laughing over here. I think they make fun of me. You told me you wanted me to tell you if I was upset. Then you're worth every penny they're paying you. Oh, God. I missed the fifties. Trying to think of what you can possibly say to make up for what's happened here? Can you be more specific? It's just my people are Nordic.
1: This discussion, it's uncomfortable. This show is
2: troubling. Is
0: there really is something that we need to get out of the way. I know that's what
2: you do. I guess I just don't have the stomach for it. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015, gearing our conversation around the conversation the show is having about gender, the patriarchy, And what each of us makes. We're going to each say our salaries one by one. No, I'm just joking. First, uh, we, of course, have back from his horse riding lessons. And Mike, why is your face so red? Uh, Mike Lowerholes. hey.
0: John, we all know the reason why you don't want to share salaries.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And here is uh, Will Ashton uh, handing me my paycheck. Thanks, Will. It looks like this was opened already. Oh, uh, uh, you're wrong. (laughs) Look at you two all dolled up. Uh, That's right. We're talking about The Benefactor, uh, which is Season 2, Episode 3 of the show. Will is back. Uh, We missed you last week uh, for Flight 1, but you did catch up on the episode. I did,
1: yeah. And I was bummed I didn't get a chance to talk about it because I thought it was a a very good episode of the show. Do you
2: like the episode? Was there like one or two things you wanted to bring up that stood out? So, you know, we can't linger, I guess. I mean,
1: I know you, John. I mean, I haven't listened to the episode, obviously, but I know in the past you talked a lot about how the show dissects uh the character's ability or inability to uh, have a work home life differentiate you know like kind of dividing the two
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh and work life balance yeah and I, I love how this episode kind of organically kind of weaves that into these different characters they're you know starting with that party obviously but also expanding beyond that to where pete has to make the choice to kind of figure out how he can you know more in this tragedy, but and also try to reckon with it, but also ultimately using it to his own personal gain in a sort of uh, odd moment. So, yeah, I, don't know, I thought it was a really fascinating episode. I wish I was around to discuss it.
2: It's such a big Pete episode, yet we don't see Pete at all in this episode, and we only see Peggy a little bit. Uh, It's a big episode for those two characters, and they they get a little bit of a break this week. Uh, Now, before we dive into the episode, as per usual, we do have a quick announcement to make. So we have been on hiatus. So uh, by the time you listen to this, we'll have been releasing episodes again, but we had to pause uh, for a couple of reasons. The big reason is because the platform that we were doing this podcast for, the young folks in which I was the film editor, sadly shut down. So we were actually not able... To put out any episodes for a while. Uh, however, we are on a new platform. The editors and myself over at the Young Folks broke off to start our own new website called In Between Drafts. So, this is the first time we're going to be recording an episode intended for In Between Drafts. But of course, we'll be releasing other episodes that we recorded before the whole shutdown. Uh, those will be releasing again for sure. So we weren't that many episodes ahead, so there shouldn't be that much of a lag. But uh, yeah, big change. But, uh, you know, we're still Mad Men Men. We're still doing our thing. It'll be fun.
0: Our Twitter has changed to Elon Musk parody.
2: <laughs> I mean, wasn't it already? Uh, you, you know, in a, at least the tweets were representative of that. So yeah, our our, Ma- our Mad Men Men pod. I think that's our Twitter username still. But uh, all right, let's talk about the benefactor. So there there there's a lot to be said about season two Uh, a lot of people find certain elements of this season a bit controversial and this episode is kind of where two of the most controversial characters get their introduction jimmy barrett and bobby barrett so i wanted to kick off the bat here uh because well i know every week you usually say something along the lines of like oh you know I, i i technically saw this episode even though you gave us the impression that you had never seen an episode of mad men in your life uh but um is this your introduction to these characters or did you kind of like were you more familiar with them no
1: i mean as of uh well it would have been the the previous episode but i obviously wasn't there to discuss it but as of episode two of season two i am on uncharted territories as far as my watching of mad men
2: goes But if I recall, you have said that you caught like glimpses of season two. So like you. Yeah. So
1: what happened was it would have been more fitting to talk about this last week, unfortunately, because ironically, (laughs) it was at a party uh, in college. Uh, I forget why, but they had the second season of Mad Men on in the background. So, you know, I caught kind of flickering glimpses of the second season. And I won't obviously reveal some of the things I've seen because they're still to come. But I have, you know kind of a loose idea of what's going to be happening um actually maybe one, actually i think one scene in this uh in this episode i might have seen in advance but other than that
2: which scene was that
1: uh oh yeah yeah because we don't really uh go chronological anymore I, it was the uh the scene where Don and um oh what's her name
2: the um bobby barrett
1: is that the representative for the comedian bobby barrett <laughs> His wife? Yeah, his wife slash sister, whatever she needs to be.
2: Yeah, Bobby Barrett. Okay, I was just
1: <laughs> making sure. Yeah. Uh, the scene where they were in the car, and that's a beautiful scene. Um, You know, like the way it's photographed, the way uh, the adultery. A, yeah, the adultery, <laughs> like, of course. You love
2: to see it. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. I found it so charming. No, but I think that's a very,
1: I mean, you know, I, I love how much I feel like this season in particular has really been diving into the cinematic quality that Mad Men uh, can, can have. I mean, I know you know from fleeting glimpses of the show that it gets more cinematic as it goes along and i mean even in this episode Don's at the the movies you know he goes to see a yeah, picture yeah, show. i was
2: gonna say speaking of cinematic yeah so um we haven't talked too much yet about how mad men has a i would say beautiful in this context will um relationship with the french new wave and i think this is our first instance of it but uh we'll we'll, we'll get to that real quick though i just wanted to say kind of like relating back to what I was saying before I, I really struggle with Jimmy and Bobby, these characters, I find them really annoying and I don't love like their entire dynamic and all this stuff. But I do really like, uh, I, I will, I will say I do really like Patrick Fischler in this role. I, I do think that Jimmy Barrett is like a, yeah, it's like an inspired casting choice, right? Yeah.
1: And I, yeah, I mean, it's just so fun. Cause I'm used to him from uh Mulholland drive. I know, uh, I think, Mike, you're not and big Drive and David Lynch fan, is that um, right? Or is that someone else I was talking to?
2: Yeah, we're both fans. Okay.
1: I wasn't going to spend too much time talking about Mulholland Drive, but I just was just basically going to mention that he's in, you know, one of the most famous scenes from that film. So that's my main point of reference. And he's basically kind of like the straight man in that, uh, that scene, or those scenes at least. Mm-hmm. So it was just fun to see him kind of play a, a wacky sort of Jerry Lewis-esque type character. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, Jerry Lewis, a little bit of Don Rickles. I get a lot of Joey Bishop from what he's doing here, and I, it wasn't until I remember Marvelous Mrs. Maisel came out that I got a little bit more acquainted with the stand-up comedians of that time, or the kind of you know like the Joan Rivers and all that. And I could definitely tell who he was. Who he was really studying, since this well, is still the early sixties. Yeah.
1: I mean, definitely Joan Rivers as as he was just talking about his vagina the whole time.
2: As a, as a giant, what <laughs>
1: his vagina? I butchered that line. I said. Because yeah, he was you, talking about his vagina it. the whole time. <laughs>
2: um, it's a great way to open the episode, though, because I just think that, like, the commercial just, I don't know, it just, like, it does transport you a bit. Mm-hmm. And I love that commercial set. I mean, I love that like, with set. With the silhouettes. I mean, this uh,
0: I mean, yeah, set. gorgeous. Yeah. It just, and I love the production design like, for it. Yeah. It just felt like they are about to sell us a Dos Equis, you know, like the most interesting man is about to come out.
2: Right, right. Um, take take it from the nuts. Uh, Ots is better than the nuts. Yeah. I think wait, no, yeah, yeah, Uts is better than Uts. I, I butchered that. But
1: I yeah. um I don't know how much attention it puts to detail, but it sounded like even the sound quality of it was reminiscent of like kind of like that tinny quality
2: from you know, like those commercials of those time that I really like too. I think part of that is just Fischler's voice a little bit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like it kind of just there's something about it that like it it, it hits the mic in a funny way. But I think it, it works quite well. Uh he does the whole Hindenburg thing and oh man, I mean it's just uh, the insult comics of those days, I think we have gotten a little bit of play with that in Mad Men so far. There was that episode last season where uh, I think it was New Amsterdam, where they're listening to the comedian in Pete's office. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's like a little bit of. Uh, that was uh, there, but
1: Bob Newhart
2: they were listening to, right? Bob Newhart. Yeah, I was uh, blanking on him. But uh, OK, so I want I want to know, though, is that just me? Is my hang up with like the Jimmy Bobby thing? I just find the characters kind of I find their stories very uh, unsettling uh specifically bobby and i know we got to talk about like a lot of it has to do with the dynamic between her and dawn i do find it really interesting but i just find these characters just not as interesting and i just get annoyed because i wish other characters of the show were are getting more time like it makes me sad that we barely get any like that we don't get any pete in this and we don't really get much peggy instead we get these two and i i don't know i don't like them as much but uh what do, what do you think uh mike uh what what's your stance on the the barretts
0: yeah i'm with you i, I one i really don't like jimmy i think he's just a twitter shit poster and maybe that's bringing some modern-day context into it that's really annoying. But specifically, Bobby, I feel like, is so underdeveloped, and we just get this rust job to her being a Dawn, you know, uh, lover. Like, think back going back to the first season, I feel like all of these great loves either are introduced to us and felt like they had depth, or, you know, it takes a couple episodes and they interact a couple times, but I feel like it was just straight to oh, but hailing, and we're fucking, because I didn't think they had any chemistry on that set conversation, just besides the the classic Don, I'm being good at my job and manipulating you right now. Um, and I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't like them together. It's super annoying.
2: Yeah, and I, th- I, I think that is obviously the point, right? Like, I do think that Weiner's trying to make it an unlikable pairing, because, like, I think the whole foundation of it is Don, up until this point, has been not able to like turn Betty on, uh, you know, for the lack of, and uh, which kind of comes through with like her fl- kind of like lack of flirtation with uh, Arthur, but how she gets excited, right? Because she's like maybe getting aroused because, you know, her husband isn't doing it. And uh, yet, you know, up until this point, Don and Betty have, you know, they just haven't had that like spark. Um, and there's this like boredom and hum, humdrum to their lives. I think Weiners trying to say that like, it wasn't love or like genuine chemistry between him and a character like Rachel that was the what causes these affairs like I don't I, what I do like about season two is it does kind of show us how season one came about like their dynamic because it resets by the end of season one he tries to go back you know because of the wheel episode he tries to go back to how things were before he tries to be faithful he's actually spending time with his kids which I found very uncomfortable honestly like him hanging out with Sally and Bobby the way even just in a different room, I was like, this isn't Don like this. I I might throw up, but um, seriously though, I, 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 there's something about like how boring his life is so that like, even somebody that he doesn't even like, like Bobby coming into his life is enough to like push him to being excited again. If that, does that make any sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. It's definitely, and I think it is a smart way to like open up Don back to having affairs. Uh, it's just like, well, this isn't what I am asking for, but it's here and I'll take it. And that just, uh, that's just, that's for Don is.
2: True love does not motivate his affairs. I think that's the point. And, and it's a good message. It's just like the way it, it comes about. I don't know. Will, you, you've you been a supporter of Don's affairs for a long time. Like you call them beautiful.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, jeez, Louise. Um, I just, what I was trying to say was I, I thought the presentation of that scene was beautiful. I'm not advocating for uh, adultery you uh you slanderous man um
2: (laughs) you slandered yourself
1: um but no i mean i guess i'm a little bit more uh geez i'm putting myself in a a hole here i I thought it was a little bit uh better than you two were giving it credit though i wasn't really looking at it as um these were recurring
2: you like don cheating on his wife okay geez louise
1: uh I, I didn't look at this as like, I, so you're implying, I guess that um, Bobby and Jimmy are going to be recurring characters. Like they're going to keep coming in throughout the season.
2: I don't know. Okay. I mean, anything is possible. We'll see. Sure.
1: I just, I, I didn't really see them as like characters we were supposed to be that invested in. I took it more as like for this episode, I really appreciated the parallels between Don uh, and, and his affair. And then like you were saying with Arthur and Betty, and then it's like kind of, you know, will they, won't they sort of thing that happens throughout the episode uh, as, the, you know, that parallel, I thought it was really compelling.
0: But I think that speaks exactly to what I'm saying of them being underdeveloped that you, yeah. someone who hasn't like, seen the show, yeah, doesn't sure. even know that these guys are going to be bigger right. than one Well, episode. maybe.
2: I mean, Mike, we kind of have to, be, we have to at least pretend to be coy.
0: You literally already,
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Real quick, I got to I gotta get into, I forgot to say, uh, you know, some of the, the credits here. So we have uh, Leslie Linka-Gladder directing. I think this is her first time directing, but it won't be her last for season two. She does uh, episode eight uh, later on. But uh, also Matthew Weiner and Rick Cleveland are co-writers here. And I think this is Rick Cleveland's first writing credit. I don't remember him doing another uh, episode, but uh, yeah, so I think... Um, Cleveland and Glatter both worked on the West Wing. And then also the actress who plays uh, Bobby Barrett, Melinda McGraw, I think is her name. She, uh, I think she was part of the West Wing, but also Desperate Housewives. Uh, I didn't know about Desperate Housewives until I saw oh, that uh, in Mad Men Carousel. You are um,
1: mistaken, John. Uh, Leslie am... Linkick later directed 5G from season one.
2: Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah. I, I must have totally forgotten that she was part of season one. Uh, 5G, great episode. But uh, okay. Okay. So those are who made the episode. It's kind of an interesting mix of people. Now, I think I think the main story here, we've already talked about, like, you know, Don and Jimmy and Bobby and all that stuff. Obviously, we still have more to get into, I think. But I do want to cover Harry Crane. And I've mentioned multiple times that, you know, Harry Crane is just, I think, a terrible person. Um, but uh, I think we're still kind of in this, like, weird zone of the character where I think that he's still he's written to be like somewhat endearing like a bit of an underdog character if that's fair to say uh, so the main plot that he gets in this one is that he finds out that he's being paid much less uh, than ken cosgrove because he accidentally gets ken's check and then he opens it because i and then he like tries to find an envelope to try to he, i i just have this moment every time i see the scene where i'm like of course you're being paid less you're a moron like he literally has to go to Sal and is like, Can you can you change this envelope and make it look like no one opened it? And Sal's like, just throw it away. <laughs> it's just so funny to me how dumb Harry is. But um also there's the there's the part where he's talking to his wife about this, like, why would you do that? And then you can kind of tell that he's been lying to his wife about how important he is to the agency because she's kind of like, But Harry, like you should be making way more than that, mannequin and like we know that Harry's not that, like, important, but clearly, like, he's telling his wife a different story, and this made me think of something, because uh, I was going to ask you well, why you think that Ken gets paid as much as he does, because I was thinking, wait a second, last season, we find out that Pete makes 3900 a year, right? Because when he has that conversation with Trudy, also in New Amsterdam, uh, this episode has a lot of connections to New Amsterdam, even though Pete's not in it. Uh, he's talking to Trudy about like when they're trying to get that apartment and he tells her like, Oh, I make $3,900 a year, but I did the math. Okay. If Pete cause, if sorry, Pete Cosgrove, Pete Campbell is making 3,900 a year. That means he's only making 75 a week. So he has to be lying to Trudy. It, either it's like a goof, like a mistake on the part of the writers, which I do not think. I think that they actually like keep track of this stuff and probably like they're always paying attention, what you know, money in the this, this show because uh, they kind of have to have that extra care put into it. So, if Pete's not making seventy five a week, he's got to be telling Trudy that so that he has like apparently way more money than he's letting on. Am I wrong here? Am I missing I, something?
0: I feel like this is a super small detail that could get overlooked, like in the writers' room. Or maybe they just, like, accidentally did their math wrong and did, like, 375 times 12 instead of doing times 4 times 12. There's no way that Ken is making more money than Pete Campbell. Pete Campbell has right. his own office. He is, like, the go-to guy for accounts. Um, you know? He's a guy. He, he's Campbell. a guy. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who, like, woke up on third base and, like, thought he hit a triple. But he's still really important to the company.
2: He also, yeah, he brings in, like, new business a lot. Yeah.
0: That I feel like it has to just be a mistake. Different writers, you know, they wrote that in season one, not knowing this is going to be a plot line in season two because they didn't know they were getting a season
2: two. But you don't think it could be that, like, Pete's a liar? That he tells Trudy how much she makes but not really? I kind of like that theory, even though it's... I, I get it, but I want to believe.
1: Um, I'm kind of between the two of you because I do think there's a part of me that agrees with Mike in the sense that probably by season one the writer's I don't think they really were going to know what the show was going to be or what it was going to become, and like that people would be they paying
2: didn't know Ken's paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: just what I mean is that I don't think they would be no, they'd be aware of like the Reddit effect of like people paying attention this intently to like different plot points and characters and the way that like people watch and consume shows now. Like I think that may have not been on their mind during that first season, but I, I do think it it seems too. A uh, notable detail to be incidental at the same time. I don't know. I'm kind of torn between the two of you in that respect.
2: I think we got to put it to the listeners. What do you believe? What do you want to believe? Because uh, I have a dream, um, but obviously I mean, I, Mike wants to kill it. You know, he wants to to destroy it. But that's okay. That's fine. Um,
0: the part of this I got hung up on is how quickly Harry Crane was able to identify specifically what kind of envelope that was if you put a gun to my head and told me name three different types of envelopes, I would say manila and yeah, letter
2: yeah. with a, with a window pane. It's like, okay. <laughs> and a yeah, it was a different time, different time. Um, yeah. And then the whole thing with Harry in this episode, he kind of, he's, he shows a bit of initiative. Uh, he does the thing with that show, the defenders. Cause he's, you know, he has the phone call with the CBS guy. Oh yeah. And, you That know, uh, facts. Yeah. It's, Oscar. Winner. I think he's also kind of like, um, Patrick Fischler, he just has like a voice and a look mm-hmm. that really works for the 60s, you know? Yeah. 50s as well. I don't know. Does, do you, um,
1: are you familiar with the uh, Netflix and Mike? I'm familiar with
0: the the actor who we're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking well, about, is, though. He, he
1: won Oscar because he co wrote um, The Descendants with uh jim rash oh, who's
2: played the was in the like community. two years after yeah, yeah. this episode yeah. came out and then he also came out he, august 2008
1: uh, co-directed with jim rash uh, the way way back with sam rockwell and if you've seen that film
0: oh i love the way yeah way so, way so back. that's yeah, that's yeah, who he is yeah so Mike, was that like the I first time about steve Carell was a dick yeah that's like one of my feel-good movies
2: mm-hmm. um but you yeah, know so uh harry has this whole kind of like st- idea like oh you know i'm gonna get everybody into the room he does it very quickly i was gonna say because. Uh, I think it's like a Friday when all this stuff is going down. And then by Monday, he has the entire Sterling Cooper office like together. And he has the guy from Belgium, Lee Lipsticks, who we know doesn't live in New York City. How did Harry like arrange all of this that fast? Because we know that like the weekend happens. And then Monday is when they have dinner. I, I don't know. I thought it was a little strange. But again, I think well, I think I mean, Will is just going to accuse me of you know, being too much of a Redditor over here.
1: Getting raked over the coals this episode. Jeez.
0: Well, it makes it the the episode's gonna air soon, right? And so you do have to get moving quickly, right? So I mean, and it's that Bell, it, that Jolie guy, like it's his job to be the liaison between you know Sterling Cooper. Not they can't just hop onto a Zoom meeting conveniently, you know. I don't think it's that weird to get a call on a Saturday morning, being like, you got to fly to New York for this Monday meeting uh, to discuss this thing for thirty minutes.
2: That's the thing. If like Don's arranging it, yes. Harry Crane. Like, I'm just. I, I'm surprised we don't see any sort of like Harry coming to Don about this, and like I don't know. I, I thought it was just a little bit like rushed, but I I, I kind of get it. Um, it's a small. But you thing.
0: get you get Roger saying like, "Oh, it's impressive that you did all this. Like, good job." So I feel like it's something that maybe they filmed, they cut because they didn't have time for it because it is the B plot. But it is implied that he does go to Don. He does all that work. Sure, Don sure. probably is the one that arranges the meeting since he's in it. But mm-hmm. you know, I digress. I'm going too deep into this.
2: No, I think that's a good defense. Um, good argument there. And I think that it, i gotta say, I, I don't know how you two felt about just like the the Defenders kind of thing. So the Defenders was a real show. Uh it was based I love the way that the CBS guy like explains it. He's like they're lawyers, and they really care. Like, I just love, like, that's such a TV executive kind of way of putting it. Um, but it was a real show. It was about, like, a, I think they were, like, like father-son um, or something like that. I've never seen an episode. Father-son. Yeah.
0: And it got retconned to being a tie. It's like to being a prequel to Boston Legal.
2: That's yeah, true. Yeah. So, so Michael, Michael uh, now has Mad Men Carousel. So he's, he's now getting into the finer yeah. details. Love to see it.
1: We have no secrets to hide anymore. He knows all of our no, that's dirty right, tricks. That's
2: right. We can't have our like coded messages anymore. Like while Michael's sitting there, like looking sad and alone, uh, his hands trembling. Um, but no, yeah, a uh, lot of mention of abortion in this episode, which it's definitely hard to watch. Like I'm definitely watching this in a different light than I was the last time I rewatched the show, which was a couple of years ago, because a lot you know it was before you know the Dobbs decision, and so like obviously abortion has been you know shot to the front of like. American conversation again and so it's it definitely easy to see these episodes or see this episode in a totally different kind of vein like I can certainly feel the anxiety of the characters in this uh, because it's way before Roe v. Wade in 1973 right or was it 73 76 something like that but um yeah so that that was a that was kind of interesting I don't know if either of you had a had a reaction to that especially when they're talking about that, like they mentioned abortion like you know 30 times 31 times in 50 minutes and all that stuff
0: i do think it's just the the time t- what got me about this is the timelessness of mad men i mean you there is an abortion in season one obviously now they're bringing this up here in in season two and it's not just something up for a show like this literally was the episode that they aired cbs did have an issue with the sponsors and you know it's something that we're still struggling with today you know i think mm-hmm. there are certain like programs or like southern states who wouldn't want to watch an episode that is so focused on abortion. Um, I, recently there was like a, um, a, a, a like a Grey's Anatomy episode that was really focused on states that weren't allowed to have abortions and that killing a woman. And the ratings were so skewed across the country based on where you live for like that specific episode. So it's still something that we're dealing with today and which is insane. But I'm really glad that's why, you know, Mad Man's so good. It's timeless, It talks about political issues and you know, it doesn't shy away from it.
2: Yeah, it's definitely well put. Is it time for us to talk about the French New Wave? I, I, oui, I have a question oui. for you two. Do you do either of you know what the movie is that Don is watching in the movie theater in this episode? Yep,
0: that was the Pink Panther.
2: <laughs> <laughs> close, close. It was actually uh, Looney Tunes, but yeah. uh, sorry, you you have a what, what are you going to say? Will? no, I
1: was going to say I was hoping you would tell me.
2: Oh, do you not know? I don't. Well, think so. The French Connection. (laughs) That's because nobody knows. Um, Matthew Weiner refuses to tell anybody what this movie is. He claims that it is an extremely rare film by a well-known director that very few people have actually seen. And he refuses to tell anybody about it because I think he said in an interview that he doesn't have the rights to it. And so he actively is just not uh, telling anybody. A lot of people speculated that it's a lost film. And some people have even speculated that the show created it, and he's just sort of like being a, a bit of a jokester, adjuster, uh, you know, daring guy. But uh, I like to think that it is like a rare lost film, but to this day, no one has figured it out uh, what the movie actually is. Uh, lots of theories online about it, and I looked into it a little bit. I, none of them look like they carried much water to me. But uh, I do think it's interesting that in this episode where we get so much Harry Crane, And uh, a lot of the, the AB plot is between like Don and Harry and how they relate to their marriages. That had, there was a lot of that in the wheel. I never really picked up on that before. Cause again, when you do it week to week, you know, it's so much easier to pick up on this stuff, but there is that whole conversation that Harry has with Don in the wheel about like the, the glass paintings and the hands and everything. And we see that again here like through that movie we see the hand going up and then like don having that like kind of realization and this is like one of those rare episodes honestly where we don and harry interact and don and harry kind of work together so i didn't have too much to like make of that you know but i thought that was kind of cool personally well
1: i did want to ask before i forget when we have that shot you know another fittingly cinematic shot of don with the cigarette watching the movie is that how you like to imagine yourself at the screenings when you're watching like Minions um, the Rise of Gru, is that how you envision yourself <laughs> watching films?
2: You say, imagine, Will, it's just, you know, uh, you could take a picture and just sort of see me kind of, uh, not just Minions the Rise of Gru, right? Uh, also, Puss in Boots too coming right. up.
1: Yeah, it's like, sir, can you put that cigarette out there, children here? He just <laughs> stoically not saying anything, just keep watching the screen.
2: And, and I'm just like, excuse me, it's just a candy cigarette that I lit on fire. So you can kind of, yeah. Um, I did, I did smoke a couple cigars this past weekend. So, you know, I'm definitely in that mood. I didn't watch a movie while I was wow. doing it, but congrats uh, on your first cigar. you It's delicious. Um, yeah. French new wave. Uh, lots, lots to come with that. Uh, have either of you two, I know your bosses listen to this. Uh, have either of you two ever watched a, a uh, an indie film during the day when you were supposed to be working? Who wants to go first?
0: Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. I, yeah, no, without a doubt. There's been times where I'm doing it while working. You know, on one monitor, I have like, yeah, movies on and the other window, I'm slinging sales.
2: Wow. I'm, I'm impressed, Michael. You're, you're honest and you're true, uh, but also you're uh, a wonderful employee. Because, uh, I'm it, Harry
0: Crane.
2: It clears I'm the very complex. important,
0: <laughs> if you ask my girlfriend.
2: All right. Well, what about you? Wait, anything you want to confess?
0: I mean, I
1: feel like the intersection between watching films and my work is so intertwined that it seems likely that you're
2: literally on movie sets and stuff. Right.
1: Yeah. So I feel like (laughs) it's almost a certainty that I've watched films either when I'm not working or I am working. And, you know, I I work at ND movie theater. So literally while I'm working, getting paid at Mm -hmm. times, there have been days where I've been watching a movie. So the answer is unequivocally yes.
2: I can't wait for the day when I go to the Harris Theater and I get to be your worst nightmare, Will Ashton. Because nah, I'll be there while you're working. Okay. And
1: well you got? I'll be that guy. You're gonna ask for extra butter on your uh,
2: popcorn, and I'll be like, "Where's your seasoning?" below yeah. the, the bulb and the projector is dim. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the person several rows ahead of me smells funny. All that stuff. It's gonna happen.
1: Just as long as you well, don't do anything. What is the? Oh, sorry. Good. Oh, sorry. No, no, good. I was gonna say, what is the correct movie snack? The correct movie snack? Yeah. Um. Well, I don't know what you Penis, mean by right? correct.
2: Oh, the, oh, we can define correct for you. Uh, okay. It means opposite of wrong.
1: Okay. Uh. Well, I just don't know if you mean like correct in the sense that it won't leave a mess, or correct like you'll get the most enjoyment out of the snack. I'm not exactly Are sure. You,
0: I, I'm talking. I'm not asking for an empl- as an employee. I'm not asking about what you hate to clean up. I'm asking okay. for for the enjoyment purposes. Like I'm gonna sit down and i'm about to watch morbius 7 get more get more <laughs> what should i be
2: eating well it has I that to be get more to the greek
0: i don't know. i've always Mike. felt
2: and this is
1: probably a controversial opinion that i i, I never really felt popcorn was a fitting snack for the movies because it makes too much noise like you kind of, you want something quiet that you can kind of eat and chew on but doesn't make enough noise that you're bothering patrons so, and that's why you're you chewing me cotton tobacco. candy no i was gonna say like like swedish fish or something like something kind of soft and tangy that you can chew on but you're not like you know i
2: like sour patch kids sure so like any kind of any kind of gummies good yeah
1: i think gummies are good
2: i would say as like a former theater usher cleaning these things um i'll take popcorn over peanuts oh yeah because cleaning that is is so annoying never had peanuts sunflower seeds yeah i'm
1: so glad we don't do that yeah uh the worst is when those sunflower seeds get caked into the seats. I don't know if you've had to deal with that. Yeah, John. That's they get caked in the yeah. seats.
2: They get into like you know, somebody will spill a soda and then like their sunflower seeds will be in the soda Oof. sticking to the floor, and you've just got to like Mop power it wash it. Yeah. yeah. I literally I've had situations where I've just taken a wet floor sign and put it there and been like the night crew will take care of this. Yeah. But anyway, that's enough uh <laughs> theater talk. Uh back to the episode. Back to the episode. Uh oh yeah, I was gonna ask you guys if you like Utts potato chips. I, I gotta admit, watching this episode always makes me a little bit hungry. Like I want a little bit of a snack. I don't even like Uts, but uh I like it better than Uts.
0: John. Can I admit something? Okay.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: i are they your favorite. Don't think of it. I've never had them.
2: That's you ever insane. had Uts hater chips? Maybe it's well, you know, maybe it's like an East Coast thing. Wait, no, Will hasn't had Uts. What are you
1: talking about? They're from Hanover PA. Of course I've had Uts.
2: I was about to say, I was like, <laughs> they're based in Pennsylvania. Yeah, i was about to say, yeah. I thought you had just said, like, oh, neither have I.
1: No, of course I've had oats. That was actually Yeah, yeah. I remember um when I had watched The Office, I think that was the first time I had seen Uts in like a show. And I was surprised. It was, and it was a good attention to detail because that show's obviously uh filmed in California, but it takes place in, you know, uh PA. And I always liked that the vending machines had proper attention to detail when it came to PA snacks.
2: Yeah. There's Uts everywhere I, though. We have, that, we have that that's everywhere Utz, in Virginia. I thought Uts was
0: literally like one of those fake like T V show brands that they could put on because it wasn't real and not copyrighted. And it was like,
2: <laughs> I mean, that's offensive.
1: Michael. I was impressed. They had Utz in this episode as far as like, you know, not worrying about like the brand would be like, you know, uh, hurt in any way. But I like that. There is like, Uts will prevail. You know no matter what you guys do. Utz, mm-hmm. The brand is strong. It's a family ba- brand. You know, we're going to last whatever insults are hurtled our way.
2: Batman does that a lot. I mean, so many of the companies that they have as part of the show are real. Uh, a lot of them aren't. Like, Belle is in this I episode, know. and it's not real, as we've talked about. But, but
1: I just mean that, yeah, like... I mean,
2: American Airlines, Mohawk, yeah.
1: Like, you, you see, like, him being visibly, like, disgusted by Uts, Like, you know, he doesn't really enjoy eating them. And I thought that was... Wait, disgusting. who doesn't? Jimmy.
2: Well, it's not that... He's, he's doing a commercial. Like, he doesn't want to keep eating them because, like... But the idea- he doesn't want to be disgusted by it. I
1: guess what I'm trying to say is that when you have like a real product like that, I, I feel like it's always kind of impressive when you allow someone to be visibly like grossed out or annoyed by a product as opposed to being like this is an amazing product. I can't believe I, u- I I haven't used anything else or whatever you know. It's a-
2: they probably get away with it because toward the end he's just like I would eat your ruts over Anything else in this place? <laughs> you know they serve snails here. Yes, yeah, sure. Which I I think that's good enough. I mean that's the thing. Um, they're able to get away with it. I think because it's product placement that has people thinking about the product and it's not as passive and i think they see way more value in that even if there are rough edges around it because then it's not going to feel like product placement so i think th- I think the show does a good job of striking that balance but anyway um us, good stuff um i was also going to mention uh, a place in the sun gets mentioned again in this episode because we we saw that in uh last season I think it was uh, jo- uh, Carol brings up A Place in the Sun. Somebody brings it up in that episode where they bring up a bunch of movies, uh, I think like Joan or whoever. But uh, this time it is kind of a, a little bit clearer, The Place in the Sun connection with Arthur. Uh, I forget the actor's name, but what what do you all make of Arthur? The guy who, you know, he's terrible at riding a horse. He hits on Betty relentlessly. Um, I kind of see him as like a clear sort of like, shadow doppelganger of don draper because he seems to have like like clearly tara is like a younger version of betty she comes from a family of wealth he's kind of that wasp who comes from less wealth i guess and he's sort of like he feels uneasy in like his relationship with her even though like he's probably you know by all appearances you'd think he wouldn't but he's like Chasing after other women, and I think that's clearly paralleling Don, you know, having affairs probably when he and Betty were still like, you know, kind of like young stars. Uh, but what what do you guys make of that? What, what, what we'll start with you, Mike, because you know you're you, you're not the biggest fan of adultery uh, compared to the rest of this panel.
0: Yeah, definitely, I'm I'm not a fan of adultery like some other people. Um, and Arthur is a predator. Not a predator like Betty is trying to, like, fuck other little boys next door. But a predator (laughs) in the sense of uh, – my take on Arthur is that he – exactly. is less wealthy. He has no power. He's about to be a stay-at-home husband. And he sees this profoundly sad, beautiful girl every week whenever they're riding horses. And he thinks, like, I can be the powerful one here. I can seduce her. And I will finally have something. Like, this will be mine. I'll have power. I'm yeah, a man. Spot on. Yeah.
2: And, and I think that's what Don does work. too. Cause that's what Don does with Bobby at the end of the episode. He like uses power to get her to do what he wants. And there's well, not even like. We should a,
0: talk about that. What Don fucking yeah. does to Bobby because it's a the little sexual fucking assault? borderline. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. Cause I think that like, it's a different version of assault because like, you know, what Arthur is doing is like harassment on the verge of abuse not really assault because he you know he doesn't like force himself on Betty, but he's clearly like forcing himself on her emotionally when she's clearly like rebuffing him constantly right and i think that and she's super a-
0: uncomfortable afterwards
2: she's like, super shaky. uncomfortable during <laughs> like yeah, how does fair. anybody have a conversation with that woman and just yep. be like there's something going on here like no there isn't like she's just like placid just like he even says like you're profoundly sad what were you saying well
1: well, no, I just was going to point out the, the, her hand, the cigarette shaking as you know, after that situation, but the moment had passed.
2: Well, no, I mean, uh, I, I've alluded to that already. And I think that it, it is something that's kind of interesting because last season says that she does that when she is sad and she doesn't, she, she can't like process things. And like when she's in that whole thing with Arthur, she's just kind of like stone faced. She's just kind of like, mm. but I think that like, is there some kind of indication that she's excited by this and she's just sort of like, the fact that she was forcing herself not to act on an affair that she might want to do herself, because Mm. I think that she is having, I think this independence she has, like there might be a little bit of like, I'd like to just kind of have a dalliance with this guy because you know, my husband isn't making it happen um, in the bedroom. So it were,
1: I mean, well, based on her previous, like almost adulterous sort of interactions with that uh, appliance guy. And then the mechanic on the road, she does seem to strive for some sort of, uh, taboo like like there is something kind of attracted to her about the idea of you yeah. know, being caught in kind of a, a lovelace like a, a trice that has some some risk to it but not in that way obviously i think that's just not what she's desiring obviously but yeah i mean there is there, there is that sort of desire to kind of be in a you know kind of uh, uh adulterous relationship of some sort but uh, this mm-hmm. is not gonna work out
2: yeah i get i get the impression that like it's it. These affairs are just something that they want because they're bored. And like I think Weiner's trying to get across that like this was a big motivating factor behind the affairs of the sixties and fifties because people were just like they they were sucked into this like totally monotonous, tedious lifestyle that was sold to them through advertising and American cultural dream. And like the only thing that excites them and gets them out of bed in the morning is like the idea of like the taboo, I guess.
1: Well, I was just gonna say. I mean, what I find fascinating about the Bobby uh, Dawn affair is that it's very kind of strictly business in a weird, like it's almost very transactional in a way that his previous affairs that we saw on season one, maybe weren't almost entirely emotional with the exception of like, you know, one or two, but there was something a little bit more like he was desiring something beyond what he was getting at home outside of sex. Like there was something he, he, he wanted in those affairs, whereas this one is a lot more kind of, you know, business like in a way that I find kind of fascinating.
0: And I just, I just wanted to point out that to credit Betty's characterization, I don't think she was as into this encounter as she was with the Impliance guy, because I think Betty wants, uh, she doesn't want the Nixon lifestyle. Uh, she wants the Kennedy lifestyle and like, you know, the modern not being a housewife and this wasp coming in being all rich. I think she just sees it as maybe what young Betty would have wanted, um, and just isn't quite as interested.
2: Well I wonder if she like looks at Arthur and, and is kind of thinking to herself that this is what Don was doing cuz she she points out clearly a couple times that like there is like a clear sort of like connection between her and Tara. She says multiple times, you know, of like, you know, she's beautiful too. Like I think Betty understands what's going on here and what makes her sad is that this is what Don does behind my back. You know, he's with somebody amazing like me. The way that Arthur is with somebody that she seems like amazing like tara like what she even says that like when um her friend sarah beth carson is like oh you know she's she's way too pretty and all this betty's like it's about right i think that she's sort of implying that like she and don you know there's even that whole thing later in the episode it's like are you two sold separately uh she sees their couple like they are kind of like on a playing field that like by appearances should match but then she sees this guy going behind tara's back for boredom or whatever reason. And I think that's, what's making her sad. I think that's what ultimately is like freaking her out. She's just, you know, having a realization about what's really going on with her marriage. And so, yeah, you know,
0: I didn't, I didn't think about that before. That's like really true. And going back to last season, when uh, she finds out about her friend's affair, that's why she's so distraught is like, how can somebody do this? And now she's actually seen, oh, this is how somebody does it.
2: Right. Then they're doing it to her.
1: Yeah, I mean, the only thing I was just going to add, and I do agree with you, John, but I feel like what I find kind of fascinating about Betty, uh, at least so far as we've seen her, is that she doesn't really feel tethered to any particular identity like she with with her um, being like a housewife, being a mother, being uh, a wife. Like it, it just doesn't feel like she she seems like there's something very missing and she can't quite figure that out, especially with the loss of her mother. And I feel like, yeah, like she's kind of almost desiring the sort of um you know, like kind of try to kind of play the part of the adulteress here. But I think at the same time, as we saw in season one, like Betty feels things very deeply. Like she feels things in a way that I feel like Don has uh, allowed himself to kind of cut off a lot of those emotional ties for most of his life. But Betty just can't really do that. And I feel like that's also another reason why this uh, scene is so like affecting for her is like, she just, she can't really divorce herself from, uh, you know, the emotions that are implicit in that relationship. And so, yeah, it's just it's something that I think is so key to her character that kind of that balance the two that, um you know, yeah. makes her, as Arthur says, so profoundly sad.
2: Well, there, there's such a consistent through line of this right in Mad Men as a series, which is that women in this show tend to be desired the most when they're outside of those identities you mentioned, where they're not in the identity of housewife or whatever, like Betty, like there's something to be said about the first time somebody is like actively trying to pursue her and try to be like you know, do something with her like this is it wasn't the salesman. He was just there to make a sale. Um, that was when she was firmly in the identity of housewife. It's when she is independent, when she is like riding a horse, she's good at it. She's doing her own thing. It's something I think that's why the, the episode goes to great lengths to show like why she's not bringing Sally to this because it's her thing and she doesn't want her family there. And I think that's when she's being desired the most. It's the same kind of thing we see like Don actively pursuing women in season one tend to be more independent women that he respects people like Rachel and Midge who don't, you know, rely on anybody else. They're not housewives or not, you know, so I think that there is a lot to be said there about how the show views, you know, desirous women, I guess, which is why I think the whole desperate housewives connection (laughs) with this episode is kind of funny.
1: Yeah, because I think we even talked about how like the the. The one time in season one where Dawn found Betty to be very desirable was when she was being a model and being more independent and therefore she was able to kind of find that like life outside of work outside of her home life in a way that Dawn found very exciting and stimulating so
0: yeah agreed. I do just want to fact check John one time the first time Betty was seriously um, desired for and sought after was while she was babysitting
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: she was being independent in that respect fair enough fair enough
2: yeah she wasn't she wasn't in her house she wasn't through. Sort of, anyway um, okay let's move on <laughs>
1: i was gonna say I, I love the line though where um the first time arthur says you're so profoundly sad i love that betty quips that it's just my people are nordic that line got a good yeah laugh this is out. a funny yeah. episode
2: i gotta give it i i give the i give the episode points for its comedy um, uh lois gets fired and uh you know not with a bang but with a whimper uh, she's unable to cover for don uh, i love what he says about that too he's like you do not cover for me you manage expectations yeah but it was such a like sad like lois's face like krista flanagan is just so good in this role it makes me a little sad that like we don't get as much uh lois uh, at least up until this point um and now that she's fired it's like i, I would have loved a whole season of her being his secretary but uh, it does make sense that like of course she Of course, she gets sent back to the switchboard. She's pretty terrible. But, uh, you know, she'll always have the bowling team, right? Um, It's just
0: just sad that uh, she didn't even know what she did. (laughs) Right.
2: She's just like, wait, what? (laughs) But it's so funny. She's just like, Ben Cosgrove. (laughs) Um, I was going to mention, what else do we have here? So, uh, Lutess is a real place in New York City. I wanted to mention that. Oh, go ahead, Mike.
0: I I, want to talk quickly about... I, we just did so much Betty, but Betty at the end of the episode in the car on the way home.
2: Yeah. I wanted to talk about that too. It's uh cause it, so the name of the episode is like the benefactor, right? And it's an episode about power couples, like the main couples we see, like at least married couples are Don and Betty, of course, but then also Jimmy and Bobby Barrett and Harry and Jennifer. And there's a lot of sort of like, how do these couples work? Oh, and the shillings too. Um, how do these couples kind of interact with each other and, you know. Are they each other's benefactors? Is that what the show is getting at? But then also like Don specifically calls out like the benefactors, like the Medici's, you know, like a family that sort of like supports another. I thought that it was kind of interesting. That's why the episode ends on an arguably positive note, at least like for Betty, because she's kind of she's misinterpreting the situation, I think, where she's kind of feeling like she had a lot to do with um you know man Carousel actually brought this up she's feeling like she had a lot to do with like why jimmy did the apology when really it was because don did something horrific what, what did you two make of that uh what i'll start with you mike because i know you're not you're not a big um fan of right I'll, I'll stop making that joke about will liking adultery that's obviously not true will is a good guy usually
0: i don't know he's, he's wearing a shirt that says i love it when other people step outside their marriage see that's why i've been with thrown up
2: Yes, exactly. It's, it's just, it's Thank wordy you It's a worthy shirt. That.
0: I don't understand why someone made it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love you, Will. Uh, no, I, I, I was uh, I I forgot about this scene, and so I was genuinely confused I, uh, when Betty started crying. I was like, Oh, she knows, because pre- like to me, it's pretty obvious. Like Bobby leaves, Dom leaves, Dom comes back, Bobby comes back. And I was like, oh, motherfucker, she knows. And then it's like, oh, actually exact opposite. She is so blind.
2: Bobby's hair looked from the get go. Like, you know, it kind of has that purposeful, like messed up look, like after Mm -hmm. having like some kind of dalliance. But uh, obviously, like that adds to it because of what we know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but uh, it, it made me feel so sad for Betty because she genuinely, like, that's what she Same. wants, right? She wants to be independent. She wants to be Don's rock and she wants to be involved in this. And um, yeah, Don just doesn't give a shit. And, but he's accepting the win, right? He's just like, yeah, lay on my shoulder. I love you, Birdie.
2: What do you think, Will Ashton, do you think? Because um, I was going to say, I think it's clear to me that she's not sad crying because we know what Betty does when she's sad. She doesn't really cry, right? She kind of just, trembles um i think like the implication here is that she actually is crying from happiness but what do, what do you make from that
1: i mean like uh mike was saying we're like the her on um dawn's shoulder that is that shot kind of mirroring one from I, i'm sure I remember if remember was season one or beginning of season two when they're riding back from i think their interaction with roger it's like very reminiscent of that scene and that's like one of the few yeah. times we actually see uh dawn and betty like kind of being happy in their marriage and like they're also
2: the relationship tends to thrive in cars. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, just like kind of paralleling that shot and just, you know, kind of obviously we know a lot more about uh Don and Betty's relationship at this point than we did uh that early on, because I think that was like episode two or something like that, ladies' room. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just you know, it feels like there's so much uh you know left unsaid in their relationship oftentimes and like it, it makes sense why they're, you know, married and they can have a functioning, uh, marriage, but there's also just like the inherent sort of, uh, you know, um, divide between them. Like they, they can be very loving. They can be very affectionate. They can be very supportive of one another, but there's just something inherently kind of tragic about their inability to like really, uh, provide for one another in, in meaningful ways. I feel like they can only really, uh, you know, f- fulfill these roles in a sort of superficial way as husband and wife. And there have been times, obviously, yeah. as we've seen, where they can, you know, like even go into that uh, the carousel with the uh, the photos of them together when they were a lot happier, which obviously happened well before we followed them in the show. But yeah, it's just like this relationship that's almost kind of like I don't want to say doomed to fail, but just like doomed to not be a marriage, mm,
2: like a real one. Um- even the shillings you know it's like at first glance you could look at that couple and be like oh you know they're they're nice enough we don't really get to know them that deep but there's even that just one moment where we find out that you know hunt shilling has like you know brought his wife there without telling her that like jimmy barrett's going to be there and there is that little bit of like subterfuge on his part like not willing to sort of like be honest with his wife and you know he puts her in a really like awkward situation and it's really uncool of him obviously uh, I'm I'm about to date our conversation very, very badly. Um, you two are going to look back on this and be like, why do we let John host this show? Um, but I do want to mention that Don is the anti-hero. It's him. Hi, he's the problem. It's him. You guys know what that's right.
0: Um, I also mentioned Harry lied to his wife, too, about what the episode was about. But he didn't so want to bring no up that is- he was yeah, yeah, show he for abortion
2: yeah see that's why i think like everyone's lying to their wives so maybe pete lied to trudy i mean i'm just going back to that and I can't god damn it john <laughs> wrap up the episode uh yeah i'm gonna get into trivia but is there anything any last uh thoughts in the episode that we didn't get to um i mean we got the one scene with peggy where her catholic guilt kind of shows her obviously like the abortion thing like visibly shaking her so elizabeth moss like really milking her one scene um but there might be a couple things we forgot to bring up
1: well i mean not that it has any like uh, deep significance to the episode but i thought there were some very
2: funny roger moments in this episode yeah well he's doing this like you are now the television yeah, yeah, well that's
1: yeah. well also that he's just like uh i forget what he says exactly to harry but it's just like uh people tell me you're harry Crane. like he doesn't even know who harry is
2: yeah you're harry but, crane right yeah. so,
1: i forget exactly but uh, also but the the cigarette thing is him what, being like uh, no
0: one makes that here
2: yeah, yeah not even close <laughs> he's such a cad him calling out uh don too you know just being like where were you you know it's like kind of i was i was scared for don and you would see don's like the the, the, pr- the printer like <laughs> you know a little bit
1: but no i was gonna say that scene where he um because he keeps bumming smokes throughout the episode and that's right, just yeah, like, i don't smoke we have a whole mm-hmm. uh you know <laughs> <laughs> cause of room, lucky, lucky strikes. strikes he's like
2: i don't smoke yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that, that, right. that was great yeah
2: we've seen him be like a little bit more agitated in this season because yeah he's not smoking as much uh for his health and all that and clearly he's uh he's he's breaking his rules a little bit when uh when he can yeah um any any last thoughts uh i think i think we basically covered it uh i mean harry crane comes out on top you know he gets his raise little as it is and uh his wife seems okay with it because like the real thing is the promotion even though he's like the sole you know person in his department that's a pretty usual corporate thing i think but uh yeah uh i guess we can get into some trivia i don't have a lot this week so i i kind of touched on this before but when uh we have the scene with sal and harry and sal is just like so good and you know he, he only gets like two moments here he gets the moment with harry but he also gets that quick little like elliot from Deljo lee is just like how are you doing and sal is just like same as usual yeah. i love
1: his dramatic pencil sharpening Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was such a good
2: one. yeah, when he finds out how much yeah. Ken makes. <laughs> so
1: uh like, also that he's like perfect. Do you want me to make you a passport as well?
2: <laughs> right, right. You want a fake passport right. too? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're worth every penny they make you're making here. Oh man, they're paying you every penny, yeah. Um oh no, we lost Mike. I guess we'll have to just kinda keep going. Uh but um okay, so then uh there was that whole thing where uh Sal we see Sal like uh taking the words out of mohawk airlines um which it's kind of implying right that like i think they're going to be doing the american airlines pitch with some of their existing mohawk work which i love because that's such a thing you know like reusing things that don't get made in advertising is very prevalent i love that little detail like the, the show doesn't really call a lot of attention to it so i thought that was pretty cool so there was that piece of trivia and then um oh yeah the the whole thing where lois gets fired I forgot to mention this uh so matthew weiner said that he based this off of, uh he once saw someone get fired and they didn't even realize they were getting fired so that's kind of how he based the scene with lois um yeah
1: yeah no no that was just tough
2: that was rough yeah yeah you're just like john why are you smiling and having fun it's like that was sad <laughs> I mean, you're right i need to i need to check myself oh no, man um, uh, oh, and then uh, the hail of that scene that you found so beautiful in its presentation, Malashton, uh, when the hail is hitting the car, they used mothballs uh, to make cool. that effect, which I thought was really cool. I yeah. never would have guessed that they were mo- Yeah, Yeah. Pretty, pretty How did they splatter, uh, then, if it was uh, Probably a little bit. It's probably a mixture of, like, there was something about the mothballs that had some sort of, like, kind of cracking. Okay. Or they used some sort of, like, light CGI, like they did in last mm. season with the bushes. Okay. That's my guess. Okay. And then also, last thing here, uh, I forgot to mention this too, but uh, and that line that you that we, I think we all liked where uh, Betty is just like, my people are Nordic, uh, that was uh, January Jones came up with that. Uh, and so she's, she's funny. Uh, she, she's got a, a sense of humor that her. I personally appreciate. Yeah, yeah, I like that line. Um, Mike, unfortunately, had to dip out um, rather Irishly um, because he uh, had a little bit of an issue with his dog. We want his dog to be okay. Oh, um, that's, so-
1: that's what he was saying. I couldn't make out what that message was
2: so so a goodbye from mike uh we we obviously think he's um you know a star scholar now that he's not here we can praise him um but yeah next week we will get into episode four which is just who three sundays this this is the episode i've been waiting for okay um i'm i'm a big fan of that episode i feel like and uh, i'm curious i feel like you say that every
1: episode (laughs) like this is the one i've been Dude, waiting I,
2: for. I didn't say that about the benefactor i didn't say that about flight one oh, i didn't okay. say that about, i haven't said that in a while hmm. well i haven't said that since the wheel but All that's right. kind of why i'm excited because there aren't a lot of great episodes in hmm. season two but three sundays i think is one uh, so. i
1: don't know i thought flight one was a pretty damn good episode
2: but i get what you say for those who think young yeah was a good one too wait oh flight one was good yeah, yeah, yeah. Flight... I, th- I think so far the episodes have been good they haven't been my faves but you know yeah, we All never right. got to do our season one sort of like ranking of everything because uh, scheduling didn't work out. We still we still got to do something like some kind of version of it. Maybe we can Maybe do a uh, yeah for we'll season go. two.
1: We can kind of do a, a bo- like a two for
2: yeah two a two for one buy one get one free. There you go. Yeah,
1: there's the ad man. and you talking.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, but okay, yeah, that will do it for us on this episode, of Mad Men. Man, thank you so much for listening to us talk about advertising TV shows. We'll be back for the next one. And uh, yeah, hopefully Mike has, uh, you know, good fortune with uh, his dog right now. We will say a silent prayer.